All right, we are being recorded. So last week, we had a bit of a hint there from uh, Janet gave us a, a clue as to what our main takeaway was, but there was two takeaways. Um, the first one being the importance of foundational Bible learning. Uh, in order to more fully understand who God is, uh, we have to understand the truth from the beginning to the end, not just this sort of... Uh, you know, like I had that novel, sort of reading a bit from chapter 12 and then going to the conclusion and introduction and getting a, a more confused picture. He wants to share his truth with us the way that he laid it out. And, and he is the one who's present while we read it. So we haven't been left alone. And then the second point was that we identified that who alone was present in the beginning? God alone, right? He was there in the beginning. And um, he was there before the beginning too. He was there. Uh, and because of that, we can say that God is an eyewitness. He is an eyewitness to the beginning of all things that we know. And so what we do is we always want to go to the source. When we want to know about something, if we want to know about a certain event in history, if we can find someone who was actually an eyewitness to that event, that's the best way to get the most accurate information. So when we want to know about the beginning of time, when we want to know about our origin, God's um, creation, we need to go to the Bible because God alone was there in the beginning. And uh, so he's the only eyewitness. And his, the Bible, the word as we call it as well, um, is a history account of all those things. So that's what we go to. We go to the word. So moving forward, as we learn more of God, I just want to encourage you guys to anticipate that God will uncover great things for us. A lot of us, some, some maybe say you're you know, a cradle, whatever, Baptist or this or that or another. Uh, maybe you've heard a lot of this stuff a lot of times. But I do want to excite you that God will show you new things if you've never looked at his word this way before particularly. Um, and just new insights. And, and I hope there will be rubs along the way because a lot of us have a lot of work that God is still doing on each of us, right? Um, and then through all this, I just hope you'll, you too will just increase in your love and, and, and joy for the incredibleness of having God's word in our hand in our own language. So as we dive in, the question that we're going to be hopefully answering well tonight is, is the Bible reliable? Some of you may be wondering, how do we know the Bible is actually from God? Or maybe there's people in your life that's asking you that. How do you know? And how do we know that what we have is reliable? So how do we know it's from God? And how do we know it is reliable? Keep in mind, as I'm asking you a lot of these questions, you might have answers for these already. You might not have this question yourself. But rest assured, there's somebody around you who does. So have that in your mind as well, all the way through Establish 101. <clears throat> so these are definitely valid questions. And we'll address these basic questions about the reliability and the authority of the Bible as we go. So... As we go into the Word of God and how God shared His Word with humanity, we're going to also be asking why, or hopefully addressing why we can confidently choose to believe it ourselves and articulate it for other people, and also be able to understand what authority it has. Do we know that God's Word is, is an authority source? That's where we get, or God places authority on it, and, um, and that's what we need to always bring ourselves back to in terms of finding answers, finding truth. Here's a quote. Any of you guys hear of a pastor, author, uh, I always have a hard time with his first name, Vodi Bachman. 
Yeah? You guys know him? So here's, here's a quote that he has that I really enjoy. Speaking about the Bible, it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claim to be divine rather than human in origin. So it's neat, I think, how he starts with the his. I'm going to turn this down a little bit. How he starts with the history, and, and then he also moves to the, the reality. That was that too much? Moves to the reality that um, it is supernatural. How's that? Yeah, I'm trying to strike a balance. I, I'm hearing a bit of a ring. As we learn about God's word, the Bible, and we study together and the truths that are in there, you guys, I trust that you guys will embrace the word even more. When I went through this last year, teaching it all the way through its entirety, uh, it just brought to life the Old Testament like it's never been alive to me before. And it just brought, it, it brought an understanding to me that the God there in the Old Testament is the God here today. And, and sometimes that gets re- we get really lost in that, especially when people ask tough questions. Like, how, how can this flood event here be the same God who loves us that we talk about today? So I just hope as we uncover that and unpack that more and more, you guys will just grow in your love for the entire word, for God's truth. So here we have it, you guys. God's, God's word for us. Words of truth from front to back, the entire cover. And they're words of life. It's not just a novel. Words of life. In this lesson, our hook that I want you guys to take away is the the Bible is the final basis of truth. And to unpack that tonight, we're going to go through these three points. Inspired men of God, and we'll explain what that means, wrote the Bible, God's word. Why you can trust God's word. And then nothing is to be added or subtracted from the Bible, from God's Word. Would you guys turn with me to 2 Peter, chapter 1. Second <clears throat> Peter, chapter 1. And after we hear the page turning slow down, could somebody with a Clear voice, read that for us. Second Peter 1, sorry, 20 and 21. Twenty and twenty one? That's right. Second Peter 1. Oh God, God. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Yeah. Thank you, Emil. So it came from not the prophet's own understanding or human initiative, but moved by the Holy Spirit as they spoke from God. What does this passage say about how God gave us his word? How do we break this into our, into our words? We can reread the verse, but how do you break this down? What does it say about God and how he gave us his word? He gave it directly. Gave it directly? Yeah. To everyone? 
or to who? To the prophets. The prophets, yeah. So specific men. What else? Does anybody else want to add or have any other thoughts? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. That's right. Yeah. And it wasn't their own thoughts or interpretation. It was directly God's word through them. Yeah. Yeah. They spoke from God. So it's not like it was a dream and it's not saying anything about that. And they kind of got an idea from God. It says they spoke from God. So God had a message. That's right. That's right. So yeah, God, God inspired these particular individuals, these men, most of whom were called prophets, not exhaustively, but majority. And then by God's spirit, they were moved to accurately, as you said there, record his word, the Bible. So God is essentially, we're saying he is the author of the Bible. Truly, he is the author of the Bible. But yet he used this interesting connection of, people, men, to write exactly what he wanted to communicate with humanity. God never allowed these men to add or subtract. It wasn't their ideas for God's written word. But yet, the interesting thing is, is God did use their unique styles to come through, their personalities. And he caused through those events, or through their personalities and their writing styles, that what was to be recorded was precisely God's word. You guys are already hitting the nails on the head. And that's, that too, we're talking of the original language. If some of you don't know it wasn't written in English, we'll get to that. But we're talking of how it was written in the original language. So as such, God is the ultimate author. Even though he didn't grab a pen and write it per se, God is the ultimate author from cover to cover. All the Bible, I like this, it's his story, history. It's his story. And we'll see more and more how it is reliable and it is trustworthy because of who he is. Um, if you guys want, there's lots of great websites today. One of the ones um, on this that you can look up if you wish is gotquestions.org. Who wrote the Bible? Just a good supplement. Gotquestions.org. Who wrote the Bible? So, awesome. That is working. Here we have... 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 again. As you open up the Bible, you'll see that it's made up of how many books? 66 individual books. And they were each written by God through how many men? Hey? About? Through? Yeah, let's say, let, can we agree on 40? <laughs> Over a period of about how many years would you... Anybody have a number that's in their mind already? Yeah, yeah, 15-ish, 100 years. And, and these people who, who did the writing came from all walks of life. About 40, yeah. Yeah, and they wrote many different, in many different places around the world. And even though the different writers wrote in three different languages, we had the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and then Greek, they all wrote in harmony. It's because this is God's, this was God's project to have what he wanted to communicate with humanity written precisely. So God protected the writing of the word. He looked over it. He watched these people as it was being written to make sure that it was accurately penned. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, 
was written by a prophet around 1500 BCE, before Christ era. I think today now it's called before common era, but it wasn't at one time before. Um, so Genesis is, it's at the first of the Bible. Um, and, and the Bible was originally written in, in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It's shocking maybe to some of you that English wasn't the uh, original translation. Is that any, maybe you don't want to show your hands. That I shouldn't, some people probably would think that English was the first language it was ever written in, but to tell you the truth, it wasn't. It was Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And they wrote in these languages because, any guesses? Why didn't they write in English? So the whole world can understand. Yeah, they wrote in their language. They wrote in their heart language, their mother tongue, so to speak. So we have a little map here of the world. This book has its origins in the, in the Middle East. Does anybody want to run up and put their finger where the Middle East is? <laughs> I see that finger. Oh, yeah. Are you guys kind of all like jumping right around here? Oh, you guys are so good. There's Israel there, kind of the Middle East. So to best understand it, we're going to have to understand the culture that it was written in. Um, here's what Greek and Hebrew look like. Hang on a second. Backing up. Before that, I wanted to show you, in case anybody didn't see my hand, there's Israel and uh, there's Canada. So here we have Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in Hebrew on the left. And then on the right is the Greek. So anybody want to confirm that? Anybody read that? Okay, good. Yeah, I think that's right. Hey, they read opposite direction to what we do. So it doesn't doesn't look a lot like English. My wife did actually study uh, biblical Hebrew, so I think when I taught in Pine House, I actually uh, had her record it. I'm like, can you re- can you read this for us, and then I'll play it, but. This is being maxed with, the, my phone is being maxed right now. So it is there. I could try and find it afterwards if you want to hear. Remind me. Um, so these originals were copied with extreme care. The original 66 books were written actually on animal hides. And I, I don't have um, a papyrus paper to also show what this would look like, these, these scrolls that they were transferred to. These, the original was these long rolled up scrolls, kind of like that paper I have rolled on the table there. Um, and the copies were, they of course wore out over time. I mean, a lot of us, maybe we're getting a little more to a paperless age, right? We don't maybe understand how paper wears out, how it used to, but papyrus would have worn out just the same, similarly. So God led actually other men from Israel to make handwritten copies of the originals. Um, God's word was so precious that he, and, and so precious to them, I should say, that, and they revered it so greatly that they weren't quick to, to copy down. It wasn't like your buddy, you know, who caught the lab at university and you missed it and you're like, give me your notes and, you know, just like scribbling something down. No, these guys took their time. I think I have here. So I have it written here. God's word is so precious. They were very careful in how they wrote it out, how they wrote out new copies to make sure that it was exactly the same. They counted the total number of letters and words in both the original and the copy to find the middle letter and the word in both. Let's see how this will work out. So here we go. Middle letter. Let's see. Let's compare it. We have the original on the left. We circled the word same. 
This is not God's inspired word. We're just using an example. And, uh, oh, hey, check it out. There's a copy on the right. There's a couple twos there. This is kind of how it would look in their exercise. So right away, what would they do? Yeah, totally throw it out and start, start from scratch again. Start from the beginning. These and other tests were done copy by copy to make sure that nothing, nothing was forgotten and nothing was written down incorrectly. Without God's words being written and, and carefully copied, today's version of what we have wouldn't be trustworthy. It would be totally different. But praise God, you guys, that he gave us his word in written form so that it can be checked for consistency and accuracy. You know, there, there's a growing trend to have... Um, Bring back this oral culture. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of our First Nations, it's an oral culture. And if you go back far enough, a lot of people kind of stem from an oral culture. My wife's um, parents did a church plant in South America. They began as an oral culture. But a lot of you guys have, have heard of that game, the telephone game, right? Where you write a little note on a piece of paper. And if I started here, probably by the time it got to the end, it's likely not identical to what was first said. Um, and that's, that's just a simple, insignificant comment or, or note. And I think that's why it's so amazing that God actually inspired these men to write his word so that it would pass the test of time with accuracy and not be changed and changed. And it was preserved. I just want to say, don't diminish God's written word. And people who come to you and say, well, can I teach God's word to an oral culture and not bother translating and not bother going through the time to see it in their mother tongue? Don't diminish God's written word, especially in the heart language of a people group. We are forgetful creatures. <laughs> and to trust it to, to an oral culture, even if that is the culture, the history, it, it's running a high risk. Do you guys know that the copies of the Bible actually outnumber any other copies of any other book? Check this out here. here. So here's this dude, this old scribe, writing it down. This is where it began. And now we have the printing press and we have all these other things that, that expedite this process. But it actually goes back to these original, like 16,000, sorry, not original, but there was 16,000 um, ancient transcripts of the Bible. And some of them were just made within 25 years of the original writing. Did you guys know that? 16,000 copies within 25 years of each other. And a lot of it began looking something like that process with a guy and a, was that a quill? Is that what that's called? Or writing painstakingly. Here's like these rolls of, I assume that's papyrus paper there. And you see some stuff rolled out up above. So as a result of these individuals taking great care in copying in God's word, the ancient manuscripts of the Bible are incredibly close in content. There's no other ancient document in all of history this well preserved. And then when you think of the languages, through the years God's used many people. There's many organizations out there like Wycliffe or Wycliffe Bible Translators, and, um, which is a summer institute of linguistics. There's Ethnos Canada. There are, there's Radius International. There are... I'm sure you guys can name some. Do you guys know other translation organizations out there? Many people that go through this effort of translating God's word. But how do you think they get the best translation? Taking an English Bible and 
just working forward on that. What do you think is the best practice? They probably go to the original Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, yeah. They get, they get a familiarity or they get an understanding of, of the original languages and they source it back there. And those are the best translations that, that have been done today, whether it's English or Chinese or Russian or Cree. <clears throat> These are the best and most reliable translations where they go back to the original language, not, not using English as the primary translation script. Why does God, you guys, desire for everyone in the world to have his, his word? So they can understand and read it. Yeah, so they can understand and read it. Can you think of verses in the scripture to confirm this? You guys have any other reasons why uh, God would want it in our own languages? So we can go to the word ourselves? Yeah, go to the word ourselves, check it. And yeah. The scripture says, uh, your word is truth. Oops. Yeah, so if someone can read that themselves, they can understand the truth. They can understand eternal life, the way of salvation, the God who created them. How about uh, every tribe, every tongue, every nation? We've heard that before. God has a desire for his word to go out to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. He loves us. He knew that we would be studying his word. He desires for us to study it right now, today. And I believe that he's protected his word for us today. For the date that it is, what is it today? October 3rd, 2019? Or is it the 4th? Fourth. It's the 3rd. Okay. Yeah, for us to study his word today, this very day. We can often kind of remove our thinking and think, oh, that's cool that God like, has his word for that remote people group or these people of that time. But how about you, me, now? Bringing it down, I always want to bring down what we're teaching to us right now, right here. But think of this. I've, I've shown people this script before, this uh, scroll before. This is, uh, with Ethnos, we call this the, uh, the sad, oops, the sad uh, scroll. This is um, a list of people groups today without one, one lick of the word in their language. Written in Times New Roman at about size 12 font. And uh, they don't even have like John 3.16. Thank you. It's rolling itself back up again. Now it's less impressive. But have a look at that later. If you want to see, if, there's, if you guys have friends that are working with a certain people group or if you're wondering about a people group around the world, have a look. They're likely there if they don't have the word yet in their language. I just want to bring to your attention that with training, each, anyone here could have a role in changing that for at least one of those people groups. There's, like I was mentioning some of these before, our organization, Ethnos, has Emanate, which is training, and we have linguistics training. There's a Wycliffe, um, there's Radius International. Even for those that don't want to go anywhere, you can begin with something like Access Truth is an online resource. But I'd also like to just personally challenge you guys to be, to be praying about that right now, that list of people without even John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Even that, not in their language. Be praying about that. 
how God is calling in our lives to serve him with all that he gave us. Okay, continuing. There's a little plug for further training. And thank you for here, that you're here for further training. So you may have noticed that there's tons of translations in English, right? And why? Why is this? Any guesses? Yeah, English language changes. I haven't heard you say thou lately tonight, Tony. <laughs> How is thou, Brent? <laughs> Didn't hear that. So yeah, exactly. The language changes. We don't use some of it. Um, there's even, in the, in the Hebrew or Greek, there might not be a one word that, that encapsulates, that contains everything that they were trying to get across with just one English word. When I was in Papua New Guinea, the, we got a chance to learn the trade language. Um, which is just a very simple language, although it's growing in popularity. And they would tell us, as I would speak with them, they'd be like, ah, like in English, you've got one word to just shoot to the middle. And they're like, in, in, it's called pigeon, their language. In pigeon, it's like, we've got to circle it and circle it until you kind of get, get it. And, and I'm like, that's so true. Um, is anyone here that speaks a language other than English? A little French, not too much, but I want to learn the language. A little French. I'm in school, but I want to learn more. But Anybody else? Future, yeah. And I got French Bibles too. I got a French Bible at home. Awesome. I'm ready to get an English one. All right. I'm ready to get. <laughs> Who else speaks other languages? I saw another hand. Katie, Spanish. So, and I think, from what I understand, you're fairly fluent. Yeah. So, what are some challenges you've had? in trying to, what we'd say, back-translate. So you have an idea or something someone said in Spanish, and yeah, Kevin, who I realize hasn't gotten as far as you yet, how's that communicating gone in some circumstances? Yeah, not having a word for it, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, so, and they, they used Lane to because there was no Spanish word before that. Word, and so they, they just adopted it as part of their language. And Interesting. So vice versa would be similar. Yeah. There, there's words in Spanish that we don't, have, we don't have any replacement for. That's right, yeah. In one language, there might be the word, in another language, there isn't. So how do you, how do you get there? Kind of like the pigeon. It's like you, you got a circle, circle, you know? Uh, I, some of the, one of the examples I use sometime, and this is pretty elementary, but. Um, you know, having cereal as a kid, I was in French school as well, and you have English on the one side, side, and it would say, you know, like, prize inside. You know, you used to get prizes. I don't know. Do you still get prizes in cereal? Yeah. Yes? Used no? To used, used to. Get. Well, on one side, it'd be like, prize inside, and then you'd look at the French side, and it actually wouldn't say, like, literally, it wouldn't say prize inside. It'd be like, eat it all, and at the bottom, you'll find something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, which none of us did. Of course, we were in there with our dirty paws, like digging for the prize, right? But, uh, but that, I mean, that's an exaggeration. But any of you that speak a little bit of French, you probably see that. You're like, it actually doesn't quite, it's not literal, but the idea has been transmitted. I got the idea if you speak both English and French. And that's why translators work hard to go back to the Greek and Hebrew to get the intended meaning across. You want to get the intended meaning that it's communicated correctly. Thankfully, 
some scholars spend years to understand the original languages and the original cultures in which they are written in and through to help ensure that the meaning remains true to what God originally gave the prophets or these inspired men of God. And so, yeah, we recognize that there's subtle differences in English translations, but you should always notice that, or you should be able to notice that the original meaning is consistent. It stays the same whether you're reading NLT translation or NIV or KJV or ESV or NASB or there's tons. Yeah. Think about it. Think about the incredible lengths that God went through, though, that each of us would receive his word. If none of you guys have, have heard of the biographies of... Um, John Piper did a really amazing series of biographies on various people. And William Tyndale, listen to that one if you want to hear about translations. How he got, uh, I think it was from Latin, was it? To German. I feel like that's what he had worked on. Is that right? Anyways, don't quote me on that. But it, it was kind of getting it out of the language of the, of the priest and getting it to a language of the commoners. Listen to that biography. It's amazing. And that's what the length that God went through, through gentlemen like him and other people like him, so that each of us could have his word, and we got it in English, that we can read it. How he must love us, you guys. People have died for this work, that we can have it in English. Yet we put the Bible on the bottom of the bookshelf, or we step on it, or we hold it low. Hold it up. Read it proudly. It's not to be worshipped, but it's God's message to us, and that is worthy to be praised. Truly, we have a God who desires a personal relationship for us, for each individual here in this room, if he would go through such lengths to make sure that we have it and can know him through it. He protected it. He protected the accuracy of it, the, tran the um, various translations going forward of it. This book didn't just happen by chance. It was carefully and thoughtfully created for us. How does, you guys, and this is an interactive question, if you feel comfortable, how does knowing this impact you right now, hearing that? How does it make you feel? How does it make you maybe think differently than you've thought before, maybe not hearing this in such a way? How does it strike you? It must be important. Must be important. Right. It inspires a little more confidence. Yeah, yeah. When you see all that went into it, mm -hmm. it just it bolsters the confidence. I can trust what God has for me to know Him in this, right? Yeah. It also runs kind of parallel with the interesting idea that there is no other book in history that has been sought out to be destroyed as often as the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. Heavily. Yeah. And yet it is stood. And we have it. Yeah, totally. It's a unique book. It surpasses all other ancient books. It was written, like as we were saying, approximately over 1,500 years ago. 40 different men, three different languages, different environments. For those of you who are acquainted with God's word, think of where it was written. Places like deserts, prison, royal courts. It was written by kings, shepherds, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars. And it's subject matter. Think of it. Subject matter containing 
tons of controversial topics. We're told not to discuss politics, sports, or religion with our neighbor. And yet, well, because we know where that will lead us pretty quickly. But look at these guys who, who penned God's words, these hundreds of controversial topics, yet they wrote without contradiction, cover to cover, one harmonious message. We have a privilege to study it and to know God through it and let him change us, not us change the word to fit our life. Ooh, that gave me the goosebumps. So inspired men of God wrote the Bible, God's word. Next scripture, would you guys turn with me to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And if any of you too, I have bookmarks that I want. If anyone needs, they've got the books of the Bible on it. If you want one of those for a quick reference, how to find where I'm talking about, grab one or get one from me after and we can get to where we're talking about sooner. So Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Can I have a, a different reader, please? Yeah. There we go. Thank you, Kevin. Why would the Bible be our final basis of truth when we read this? Why why should the Bible be our final basis of truth? It came from God himself. God breathed, so yeah, it came from God himself. I mean, there's nothing here that's really, it's touching on teaching, teaching everything, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. The Bible should be our final basis of truth. Based on what we're seeing here in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we should be understanding that we need to take every thought, every idea, every attitude, every action, to be evaluated through the word of God. Why? I just said that, but why? Do you accept that? Or do you reject it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a personal challenge, we know these things. A lot of us, I should say, know these things. I'm not going to assume everybody does. But do we actually, Tony says, we stray. But when we're on track, do we actually live our lives through this framework? Before we make decisions, do we recall what Scripture says? Do we know Scripture to such a degree that we can bring our thought or action or decision before it, before making a choice or an action? Do we ask God's Spirit to guide us? God was there in the beginning. He is the ultimate author. So if what we're holding is his words, and he was there before it all began, God is the final authority. And this verse tells us that God's own word is that very thing. It is authoritative. 
So we have it to guide us. We have it to train us. We have it to put us on the right track if you're not on that track at all yet or put you back on the right track. In Psalm 119, verse 105, your word, God's word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Without it, we stumble. We don't see the rocks in the path. We wander from the path and don't realize we're off it until it's too late and we're in the marsh. God himself inspired these men, specifically that he chose to write his word exactly as he gave it. This means that every truth in this book is from God, and therefore, it's to be our final basis of truth in determining everything. Everything. Truth. God alone defines it. So, we have it to read. We have it to go back to as our source. Um, this means that, or sorry, God has given it to us as our compass. It's, our, it's what we can set our bearing by. Is this, is this the way, God? Is this the way? What's the way? It's the compass he's given us. He's the author of truth. And God is the source of all truth. If he, if he caused the word to be written as such, well, he himself would have to be truth, right? If what he wrote is truthful, then the source of that truthful information has got to be true at its core. God's got to be at his core, truthful, trustworthy, and true, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like saying it's good for 90% of your life, but that 10% I'm going to let you figure out on your own. Thoroughly. Through and through. Yeah. Thanks, Judy. Truth must consist of a few different things. You guys want to take a few stabs at it? What do you guys understand truth in general? If something's true, what are a few things you can take it back to to say, well, it's true because this, this, and this, or more? (laughs) Evidence-based, okay. Consistent. Consistent, yeah. Doesn't change with culture or circumstances. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Anything else come to mind? You guys are good thinkers. I like this. <coughs> Proven. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It proves itself within our life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you guys have, have hit on what I was going to say. So yeah, it's, it's, it's objective and outside. I don't know if someone hit that one, but anyways, objective and outside of ourselves. I'm not defining truth because I change. I, my mind changes. Things change around me, my environment. So it's objective outside of me, outside of you. It's constant and unchanging, but it's also unchangeable. If it's true, it's unchangeable because there's nothing wrong about it to change. So not only is it truly unchanging, but it's also unchangeable. And it's universal and it's for all, for all people, for all time. It's not just true for me and false for you. So how does our culture deal with what I just said? I, I kind of wrote something up here of, of absolute truths. Um, and maybe as I say that, what is true, maybe that's grinding on a few of you inside a bit. I determine truth. I, it might be different for you, but that's the way, you know, 
I'm playing the adversary here. That's, that's the way it is for me. I define truth. And this is rubbing you right now, perhaps. Or maybe some of you think, no, truth does change. Or maybe you're thinking what's true for us here in Canada isn't true for our brothers to the south in the States. So how does our culture, maybe, this isn't, maybe that isn't you, but maybe you can relate to those around us in the workplace or in your school or whatever, of pushing against this. What are, what are things people say? I'm curious. Um, locally, here in Whitehorse or, or whatever your, your group or context is, how do they push against this truth? How does our culture deal with the idea of there being absolute truth? More than one way. I mean, they don't uh, accept or believe the truth because some of them are atheists and some, mm, some like come to the truth and accept Christ and stuff like that. Oh, that's right. Denial, denial of, of this statement. Just there is no absolute truth. Yeah. Well, even if they don't outright deny the statement, they'll say things like "my truth" or "your truth versus my truth," in which case it is invalidating that statement. So yeah, subjective. Instead of outside yourself, it's being subjective truth. What's true for me might not be true for you, and that's okay. Which isn't okay. Yeah, yeah. De- I just defining, just one sec, I'll get this before my brain pushes this out. Defining for oneself and kind of like a, a lack of submitting, right? Like a, a pride in a sense. Like you're too proud to say that you're over me and you can tell me what's true and what's not true. I'm going to, again, define that for myself. There's no right answers here, you guys. This is, when I'm doing this exercise with you guys, this is me asking you what you see and what you hear. Yeah, well, we're not really talking about gods here. We're just, but yeah, like they're, they're, they're finding different sources of truth. Yeah, so different, different sources of truth, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's um, a pretty prevalent idea that there's been so much moral and scientific progress that um, anything that doesn't come current couldn't be possibly have truth. Um, anything that doesn't come yeah, current? It, yeah, it, anything that's not current. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, it's outdated. So. Yeah. <clears throat> that it's intolerant to say there's an absolute truth. Yeah, intolerant. Outdated, so outdated and intolerant. Awesome, yeah. So we have, there's more than one way. There's a denial of there being absolute truth, just in a sense, um, choosing to be ignorant on that. It's a subjective truth. What I say is right, but what you say is right. It could be different. Defining it for ourselves, kind of same thing. Proud, not wanting to submit. Someone's above me and they're telling me what's true. And I'm like, no, I'm going to find it my own way. Different sources of truth. Um, (laughs) Intolerant and outdated. 
It's bad when you can't read your own handwriting. Can you all read that? Um, yeah, you would think. Well, up here I began with no pressure time. This is my best Sunday school boy writing. And then that's my on-the-spot writing. You can see the difference. It degrades pretty... already starts pretty poorly, but anyways. So we're just going to park that for the time being. Thanks for giving those, those answers. We're going to get into how we can be sure the Bible is true, just going further down that. Archaeology. Archaeology agrees with the Bible. Thousands of archaeological digs directly relate to the Bible. And they've further backed its claims, its statements... The Bible's been noted to be so accurate that many archaeologists and, and scientists are actually calling it historical document. It's, it, it's true, they're saying. It's not only been verified on that, going that direction, but in the other direction, they've used it to get hints for their, where they want to dig, what they want to find. So they've used the Bible as a historical document to uncover mysteries or other discoveries, acquire clues. Many other cultures, places, and names mentioned in the Bible are still with us today, and some that are not have been confirmed by archaeological digs. And many discoveries just continue. With each year, more discoveries, more proof that the Bible is accurate, speaking further to the authority of God and His Word. With that, I want to make a note. I'm not saying that the Bible is true because archaeology proves it. It is true. It's just cool that archaeology is just saying, yeah, we see that from this angle as well. Subtle, important difference. I hope you heard that. And somebody already touched on this. It stood the test of time, God's word. It's unchanging. Who, any of you guys been through post-secondary studies? And you, you feel like you're really blessed because you got last year's book and you're going to save 20 bucks on the textbook, but lo and behold, your professor says, ah, oh, there's a new edition. Got to get the new edition. You're like, dang, new edition. I hate that there's new editions of textbooks. It drives me crazy. It makes all of us students poor. Um, keeps publishers rich. No, I doubt they're rich. But, <laughs> but how many times do textbooks change until they have it right, fully right? About five or ten years or so? Yeah, something like that. Well, not that until they get it right, but until often they're rewritten. Yeah. How about medical textbooks? How often are they rewritten? Continually rewritten, yeah, continually rewritten, because they're finding more, more facts, more, more, uh, yeah, just more knowledge on, on whatever it is, on the human body. And same with the theory of evolution. They, as they continue to learn more, as scientists learn more, it morphs, it continues to morph. Ever since its inception, the theory of evolution has morphed. It's still theory, not fact. Check out another good resource on, on these couple things. Check out the website AnswersInGenesis.com. Really good stuff there, AnswersInGenesis.com. And also, if any of you have an opportunity, I think it's, uh, it's Innisfail, close to Red Deer. There's a place called uh, the Dino Center. Dinosaur. Yeah, so DinoCenter.ca. Dino it's a museum, and it's the Bible History Museum coupled with it. But anyway, just interesting place to go and see um, some of this put together, but medical textbooks change based on increased knowledge, new knowledge. The theory of evolution and textbooks about it continues to morph since its inception. Any school textbook, you get third edition, fourth edition. 
And then, so you, I want to ask you guys, at what point are any of those three areas right? Fully right. They've got it. There's no advancement. This is it. None of them have been proven. In fact, the theory of evolution, too, has become less likely as science, as science has advanced and continued to have to, again, morph it. That doesn't work. We need to morph that definition to make it still fit. <clears throat> One of the primary reasons why the Earth is so old and technical because the chances of evolution as it gets harder yeah. science, they have to make the Earth older right. in order to ever actually maybe be considered a possibility. Right. Yeah. They, they just cre- in, keep increasing the age of the earth in hopes of making it seem more plausible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Add more time. Add more time. Then it'll make it work. Add more time. I was, the other night, I was uh, doing some research for this and I was like, okay, I just pretend I'm an evolutionist. I just want to see what, like, what are the reputable places or what are reputable people saying? And, and maybe I'm not speaking very intelligibly or knowledgeably here, but one place that I went to, it's like, you know, there was a bear and these bears, they actually caught insects under the water and it was the bears with the larger mouths that like did the best. And so that's where we get the whale. And I'm like, holy. I'm like, and then I like looked at the pictures and this was like legitimate, like serious, not a comedy. Like here's a picture of something that looks like a hyena bear. And then it like this bear's arms start to swoop back. And then, then all of a sudden, boom, like you got like a blue whale. And I'm like, I mean, there's about six pictures, so that helped, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, it's just interesting that, like, as Kevin said there, things have to change in order to make those theories work. And even things that we do trust, like medical textbooks for the advancement of human health and stuff like that, as more knowledge comes to light, they have to change as well. But God's word doesn't change. It stays the same. It's not subjective. This is another reason why I think we can confidently trust God's word. It's consistent. It doesn't matter what you discover that changes the word or what you discover that changes the word. The word is the word. God's truth for us. And the truths that you will learn in these lessons will be from God's word. I want to just mention that, that as we go forward, I'm not speaking authoritatively. God's word is speaking authoritatively. Call me out if you think I'm speaking out of line with what the word is saying. I want to make sure that this is what's speaking into our lives. This is what's impacting us, God's word. Not Brent, not um, this guy who came from Ethnos. But I also want to remind you as I say that, we're not seeking for some other religious teachings to take the place of God's word or society's thinking or culture or other belief systems. We're here to measure it up against God's holy word that you can read this truth for yourself. So bring your Bibles as you can to each session. Make sure that I'm not a heretic and uh, source me as I'm reading different things across the word. Um, so yeah, as I was mentioning, answersingenesis.com, you can also go there and search, how do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know that the Bible is true? Um, just another article that I found pretty insightful uh, just to continue just to build the reliability of God's word. <clears throat> So that's our uh, 
And over that point, God's inspired word is our final basis of truth. Take you guys to, um, oh, look at that. There it is. You guys want to write any of that down? <laughs> truth consists of these following three aspects, objective and outside ourselves, constant and unchanging, universal for all people, for all times. You guys take a mental picture. I can go back to it. I'm going to keep going. Is that okay? <clears throat> oh, I want to write that down. Can I write that down? If you guys want to turn with me, well, some are still writing down. I, we have it up here as well, but just to verify it's all right, read uh, Gen- uh, Revelation, sorry, Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. So, last book of the Bible there. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. It says here, And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Jehovah's Witnesses twisted God's word around. So they'll get their names out of the book of life, right? Let's keep going. Let's keep digging. Let's keep hearing. Right? Yeah. What is God, what is God saying here? What is, he, what is he saying to anyone who adds or takes away? Takes away, yeah. What does he think about those, those actions? Mm-hmm. I mean, as I look at that, the plagues described in, this, in the Bible, being removed from the tree of life, it sounds like great punishment. Yeah. It sounds like a terrible, a terrible thing. Why would God respond so harshly, seemingly so harshly, Yeah, his words are eternal life. That's right, yeah. Yeah, some might read this verse and think, wow, he's cruel, that I would add to his word and he would ascribe the plagues in this book to me. But it's like, if I, if I change this word and I change, say if I had the capacity, which I don't, nobody does, I don't believe, to change every Bible in the world, and that would come true of them. Then, like Tony said, you've just removed the tree of life or access to eternal life from everybody if you've changed God's message, his ability to communicate. That's not possible, I don't believe, but just taking it to the, what you're saying there. If you change it so much, then you're hiding the truth from people. Yeah, I believe that, that God's word is just so precious because they are his words. They're not people's words. That he wants to safeguard his message for his greatest creation. For you, for me, for our friends, for our family, for the world. So it's in our best interest to understand that, that everything in this book, the Bible, is from God alone, and he forbids that anyone should tamper with it. I remember when I was in training with Ethnos, and, and I was getting into, we were getting into a class about translation, and, and I thought, well, how do, how do Bible translators reconcile that verse? Like, how do they, because I mean, clearly when you are working with 
with another tribe that doesn't have a language, or uh, they have a language of their own, but the Bible isn't written. You're clearly changing, so to speak, but learning that, again, it's the message that's communicated, going back to the original languages that, as you translate it, you're, you're being true to the original intent and meaning. So I'm not saying it's because an it turns to an it is that that's going to happen to you, but with, uh, it's, 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 I believe, more severe than that, that if you end up hiding the truth, in a sense, from God's word by changing it. Let me illustrate this truth. So we have a court reporter and a court document. Let's say, no, not me, one of you. Let's say one of you are a court worker, and you wrote out the judge, judge's rulings. But instead of writing it accurately, you changed their ruling. Instead of writing what they truly said, you changed it. What would happen? Do you think you'd keep your job? No, you'd be fired probably on the spot. I mean, this is just an earthly example, but you've set yourself up as a greater authority than the judge. You're not the judge of that courtroom. You're a court worker, a Supreme Court worker perhaps, but what you were writing wasn't true any longer. It's the same with God's word. If we're foolish enough to change anything that he's written, then we've raised ourselves up greater than God. And that's a dangerous thing. So what is in the Bible that I shouldn't add or take away from? Everything. There's nothing there that I want to add or take away. Subtract, basically. Where am I at here? Not there yet. <laughs> um, the Bible has two main sections in it. Pop quiz. Can you guys handle it? What is it? What's the first section? Old Testament, new section. I gave half the answer away. New Testament. Woo! Wow, I got like the brainy class this time. No. <laughs> yeah, Old Testament has 39 books in it. We're assured of the Old Testament's reliability because here's just a few facts. I think, is that what I have here? Yeah. Some reasons why the Bible is reliable. We have the Old Testament here. Jewish caretakers of the Old Testament confirmed these books as being inspired by God. The books were written in Hebrew or Aramaic, not other languages, so in the language of the day. So just, again, just a closer tie to the message of what was being communicated. Jesus and the apostles used these 39 books of the Old Testament as inspired by God, quoting them, going back. Um, there's books such as found in the Apocrypha, which don't meet these criteria above and others, and so aren't included. In the, aren't included. Um, and then the second section that you guys touched on, uh, the New Testament has 27 books. Um, these books are confirmed writings of the apostles or their closest companions. The writers either witnessed the events or they recorded eyewitness testimonies. The Holy Spirit confirmed through the early church that these books were inspired in 170 AD. And these, these books do not contradict any rest of the scripture, Old or New Testament. Again, if you guys are curious, this is called the canon of Scripture, how the Bible was assembled. It's a, it's, it's a book of many books. But you can go to uh, Josh McDowell's site, josh.org, who decided um, what in Bible is a good, a good uh, article to read as well. This, this isn't exhaustive. There's other arguments, but just as we're kind of going through, this is just another bit of uh, I just wanted to provide for you guys reasons why we can trust the Bible. I know a lot of you guys aren't here tonight doubting the reliability of the word, but again, from the stance that there's going to be people around you who do. 
We believe, just to kind of put the capstone on this, we believe that God considered his word complete at about 90 AD with the writing of the book of Revelation and has refused to allow any other books to be added to it or any other scripture to be added. Um, Did you guys know, it's funny, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, nobody contests the chapters and verses. (laughs) Interesting, right? Those aren't inspired. Those weren't there in the original writings. If you didn't know that, now you know. Um, right, but they don't change the content of the Bible. It's basically like a filing system or whatever you want to call it. It's just a reference system to find it, to find whatever you're talking about. But uh, just a fun fact. God's word is unchanging. It's ever relevant truth for all times. It's absolute for all people. And this is different than the current way that we think people feel or, or how people say they can determine their own truth, isn't it? This rubs a bit, especially in Canada, for people to hear that this is God's word is an absolute truth, not just for me, for you. That's totally different than what we're saying up here, isn't it? God forbids us to add or subtract, eh? So as we wrap up, I just want to take you guys into the conclusion here. I don't want to show you that yet. Inspired men of God wrote the Bible, God's word. The Bible is the final basis of truth. Nothing is to be added or subtracted from the Bible. And the hook, you guys want to read that together? The Bible is a final basis of truth. Countless enemies, as Kevin was saying, have tried to destroy God's word. But yet we have it today. Despite their best efforts, the Bible still remains the most quoted the most published, the most translated, and the most accurate and influential book that's still highly sought after in all of history. Isn't that amazing? When you consider what we've got, it's amazing. We can take it for granted when we don't have the knowledge of what, what it took to get it, what it took to have this in our hands. What else do I have here that I want to share with you guys? Maybe just some questions. I don't know if you guys want to make quick form of these or if you want to jot them down to research on your own, but I'm sure people might ask you some of these. How have people tried to destroy the Bible? What are false things taught about the Bible and where, where do these come from? Um, what are other false views about the Bible? about the truths in the Bible? What are ways that people, especially perhaps religious leaders, um, have they tried to add or subtract from the Bible? And how do these thoughts and actions line up with the Word of God? As we look at just boiling it down to the final basis of truth, God's Word, if any of you here tonight struggle with, maybe you land in one of these, maybe not completely, maybe a little bit, Maybe God's truth is 90% for you, but 10% you claim. What are we going to do if we're going to be able to move forward? You, I'm asking as individuals. How are you going to be able to move forward if this is where you're still wrestling? Are you going to hold on to any of these? Are you going to humbly let it go and say, yes, God's word is the absolute truth for all things, for everything in its thoroughness. So what, what do we do with this? Do we hold on to this? Do we keep it? 
Do we want to continue to think on these things? Or do we destroy it against the truth? Sound uncertain. I'm hearing a lot of silence. Keep it? Destroy it. (laughs) Thank you. Destroy it. And as a reminder, if any of you this week do struggle with any of these things, don't be tempted to come back here and, oh yeah, that's right. Like, I do feel like I need to define a bit of truth myself. No, burn it. Burn it. Burn it. Not in this building. (laughs) If they're contrary, if any thoughts that you guys have actions, attitudes are contrary to the word of God. We need to reject them like we did with that piece of paper. Reject them. Hold it to the truth. God's word is reliable. It is the absolute truth because God is truth. So he wouldn't record anything that is contrary to him being truthful. How can you guys best respond to all that you've just learned tonight of God's word? What's in your heart? if you're willing to share. How can you respond to God's word tonight? Yeah. Get to know it. That's right. Comparing it with what we know about his character. Treating it as the source of truth. Taking it back to, yeah, exactly. Bringing it back. You know, when I first uh, accepted the Lord and started reading the Bible and reading in Genesis, and what I had, when I went to school, the evolution theory, all of that was there. And I tried to put it into this one day, and how does that fit into this word? And I finally just said, okay, I'm going to accept that in seven days God created this earth. Mm. And read it through with that, and it was like the rest of the Bible was true and opened up because that one thing was dealt with. Awesome. So just making it, saying, I choose to accept the truth. Yeah, you chose a posture of humility. You chose to let the Word describe the truth to you versus you making your idea fit it. It, it, just that very example brings back, for those of you who don't know, I, I, I'm a trained commercial pilot, and I, when I was in flight school, I remember one time during an exam, a practical exam, I was up flying, and they, put, they cover um, kind of the top of your eyes so you can't see out anywhere, and they get you to navigate with a map in your lap using your instruments only. And, uh, and I got to a place where she said, okay, turn your map, you're here somewhere, find where you are, look up. So I got to remove the hood, as they call it, and, and we were on Lake Superior, and I was trying to see the inlet or whatever. We were kind of at an inlet. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, this is where we are. This is where we are. I'm sure of it. And it, something just didn't feel right. But there was a dip on my map on the, where the lake met the land. And I was looking outside, and I was seeing a dip. And I was trying to compare a bit of the topography on the map with what I was seeing. And I was like, I was like this doesn't quite fit, but it's the best. Like, I had my map folded up a bit. And I was like, this is the best I can see where we are. So I'm like, okay, final answer. This is where we are. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, no, but (laughs) it's kind of the best I can do. You know, you're talking about the seven days. Like, I want to make it fit my thinking. So you make what you're processing fit what the map's not lying to me. What I'm looking outside is not lying to me. But as I marry them, something's not matching. She went like this. Does that look better? (laughs) She flipped the map over. I was just one crease over. From where I actually was and is right away I saw it I'm like oh 
that's actually, we're in a bigger dip than that smaller dip, like the, how the shoreline oscillates or whatever. And it fit. It's like when I humbled myself and said, no, fine, I don't, I'm not confident, show me. She showed me and it fit like that. And so, yeah, I just continue to encourage you guys to just come humbly. And humility looks different for, for each of us, perhaps. We might come thinking we're just so humble that we're here to receive, but I can't judge that. I don't want to judge that. Let God be the judge of that. Just be in a position to receive what God is going to show you guys. That his word is the source of all truth. It's the final basis of truth. We want to take, as it said there in the scriptures, everything back to it to correct, teach, rebuke, train thoroughly for righteousness. So is God's word, and just keep this question to yourself, is God's word your source of truth or is something else? Is it one of those things that we just destroyed? And that's just a picture, destroying that. But that's what I want you guys to be doing in your hearts with God, prayerfully. If it isn't your source of truth, who is determining truth for you? And I challenge you to take it back to what we just learned tonight. That truth is absolute. God wrote the word and it is the final source and authority of truth. And how does this impact you guys? As you leave, how does this change your thinking or feelings? Kind of asked that a little earlier, but as we wrap up, I'll just let you guys hang on that too. Ask God this week, how's that impacted me, Lord? How's that going to change how I go forward in life? Not just this week, forever. So let's just look again in conclusion at that final quote from Vodi Bakum again. I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses they reported supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claimed to be divine rather than human in origin. Do you realize how much God desires to engage with you personally? As we wrap up, just look at these pictures. The Bible God, is God's word, the only book whose author is present when we read it. He loves us. Those who read it, he loves us, and he's there. How awesome is that? So yeah, as you go out this week, as I was asking already, I challenge you to believe it and trust it. Judge every thought, word, and deed by it. Choose to obey it. Let there be a rub, but surrender in humility. Choose to obey it. Allow it to shape your life, not the other way around. Don't, don't you shape, try and shape God's word or God. And let it be your final authority, as Micah was saying there. Whatever you have, bring it back to the source of truth in all aspects of life. Don't think that the preacher got all the answers. Don't think a teacher or a scientist, philosopher, some textbook, religious leader, or family member, not even traditional customs or thinking, the word. So next, uh, this week, if you guys want to just be meditating in Genesis 1, reading it, perusing it, um, that'll set you up good for where we'll be going. Um, any questions? I guess I haven't really paused much for questions to, from you guys coming my way, but if you guys have any questions, um, please let me know. And I'm going to stop recording now. Thank you for listening. <laughs>